Principle Matters Podcast, episode 166. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principle Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week is another episode from the road. Five hours and 26 minutes from my house. If I take Highway 412 West from the Tulsa area across the state through Enid, Oklahoma, through Woodward, Oklahoma, I make it to Guymon, Oklahoma. And Guymon is one of the farthest outposts of Oklahoma towns in the panhandle of the state where you are surrounded by thousands of acres of fields of grass, oil rigs, grazing cattle, railroads, and endless blue sky, and of course, high winds. It's the kind of place that people who love to raise cattle, uh, people who love to be in open areas love to live, and but it's a very uniquely different landscape than what you see on the eastern side of the state where I live. And I had the privilege this week of spending time crossing Oklahoma, visiting Oklahoma schools. I uh, spent time in a middle school in Enid, Oklahoma with one of my friends, Rob Mills, middle school principal at Waller Middle School. Had a chance to touch base with another high school principal in Woodward, Oklahoma, Ron Sunderland, who's uh, the new principal at a great school there. And then while I was in the Diamond area, I drove south to a small town on the border of Oklahoma and Texas called Texoma. And Texoma is led by a high school principal named Connie Miller, who's one of the regional reps for our state principals association. She'd invited me out to see her school, and then we were together hosting a lunch in the Guyman area. This week, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that rural schools face. And I know I have listeners to this podcast that are from suburban, urban, rural, and international places. And so I just want, first of all, to share some of the unique challenges that rural school principals face, but also some of the shared challenges that they face that are just as common as the ones that you face, no matter what kind of school you lead or what size school you lead. And first of all, I just want to talk about some of the unique challenges of a rural school, especially a border state school, like the ones in Texoma, Guymon, Hardesty. And so let me just jump right into this conversation today by saying that if you are someone that's leading a school, I know you share a lot of these common challenges too, but here are some things that have been unique for public schools that are trying to provide the best education they can to students in their communities. I want to describe Texoma to you. It is a small town school where the elementary, pre-K through four, that building is located on the Texas side of town. So those students actually are attending a Texas school. Their principal is a Texas certified principal. Their teachers are Texas certified teachers. And yet they all live in the same town that you just cross over less than a mile away and you are in the Oklahoma side where the high school is or the mid and high school is located with approximately 200 kids, more than 200 kids in each of those buildings. Connie Miller has been the principal there for the past three and a half 
three years. I think this is the beginning of her fourth year. And here's some things that we talked about that I hear often as I'm traveling into rural parts of our state and even as I travel into other states that are facing similar challenges. First of all is teacher shortage. The inability or sometimes the difficulty of finding high-quality teachers to come into your local communities. And I'll give you an example. When Connie Miller's vocal music teacher a couple of years ago took a new position in another district, she had a really difficult time finding someone who could step into that role. In fact, uh, she told me that it became a matter of prayer. And so shortly after that, um, even though she was opening it up, saw no applicants, uh, she became friends with a lady in the community who uh, was working in the music department of one of the churches and discovered that she had a degree and she was able to become alternatively certified and now works in the school teaching vocal music. But for Connie, she said that was a real miracle, an answer to prayer, because for their community, they faced the stark reality of the possibility of losing a vocal music program simply because there was no one else supplying for that opportunity. And that's happened in a lot of situations for rural principals when they have openings, especially in specialty areas. Things like art, Spanish, advanced sciences, advanced mathematics are becoming harder and harder for principals to find to fill in those positions. And even though in our state, Oklahoma, our state legislature and our governor sign laws that now allow teachers to be paid more than they've been paid in recent years, we've seen over the past two years a combined increased income for teachers in Oklahoma of more than $7,000, which brings us to the regional average. The last 10 years, schools had seen consistent cuts to their programs. And you can imagine what happens in more than a decade of cuts. You begin to lose programs, you reduce your staff, you reduce the offerings and resources that you have for students, and you begin to inevitably lose some quality in the education that's being offered as well. And so as a result, um, Oklahoma ran into a crisis where five years ago there was maybe 20 or 30 emergency certified teachers across the state. Um, Just three years ago, that number raised to over 2,000 and the following year to over 3,000 emergency certified teachers, college educated people who are stepping in to fill the gap, but had no formal education training that were having to be uh, trained on the spot. And so we have a lot of new teachers to the education field across the state and they are filling the gap and we're hoping to eventually see that tide turn where more and more young people are interested in education as a career. But it takes a while to rebuild resources, to rebuild momentum after you've had cuts for so long. So I'm thankful to be in a state that has seen an increase. But for a lot of these rural schools, they're still facing the consequences of those decisions that were made years ago on cuts to their school funding and to into their programs. For instance, in Texoma, Connie Miller sits on the border with Texas. And so if there is a certified teacher in her community that wants to make more money, then they just simply look at the openings that happen across town in the school, in the elementary school just across the town, because that elementary school's funded through Texas school funding and the Oklahoma side is funded through Oklahoma funding. And so there's going to be a stark difference in the amount of resources, the salaries of teachers, and the benefits that they receive between the two. There's something else that was um, challenging that each of these principals face that I talked to, and I had a luncheon today with principals from several of those districts, and probably the number one thing that they said that they need more than anything is, is opportunities for students to be educated 
outside of the traditional high school, for instance, in career technology opportunities. Oklahoma boasts a, a very high percentage of opportunities for students in career technology across the state. In fact, we are one of the leading states for the most career tech centers or opportunities and programs available for students throughout Oklahoma. But in the panhandle, the western, far western reaches of our state, those districts that I described earlier have no career tech option available. There is, there is no career tech option that exist in, in those communities. And several years ago, according to the principals I spoke to, uh, that option was brought to the table to, to a vote of the citizens of that area uh, that would have required an increase in property taxes to fund the creation of those programs, and it was voted down. So those principals yearn for the opportunities for their students to have technical trainings and some of the other career opportunities that students are getting across our state and in other places too, things like IT or heating air and vac or automotive repairs or business opportunities or things like hospitality and culinary arts, all those different areas of career technology that we see so often developed aviation mechanics through uh, so, so many of the programs that are, that are existing and other career tech options for them. Another unique challenge for these rural schools too is that many of them are places that because of the industries that are there, whether that's farming industries or the oil industries, a lot of those small towns attract immigrant workers, and those immigrant workers bring their children with them, and those children enroll in the schools. And so, for instance, Guyman High School, which has just over 800 students, has over 32 languages. They have over 30 languages spoken among the students in their school. And so, those are unique challenges. If you're a rural principal, you're probably resonating and relating to some of the things that I'm saying. And But I also want to flip those challenges into the common practices that I witnessed in the school visits that I did today that were so encouraging. And the kinds of things that I see happening in strong schools, whatever setting I'm in, whether it's urban or suburban or rural, first of all, is culture. One of the things that I love that was Texoma High School was doing was this summer, Connie Miller sat down with her teachers and staff, and they developed together a new mission and vision statement for their school. Not something that simply gets hung on the wall because it's a pretty sign, but values that together they articulated that they want their students to know. And they have an entire wall that's covered with six main values that they want to teach their students. Things like integrity and character, things that they want respectability and responsibility, things that they want their students learning throughout the entire year. And so together as a, as a staff and a faculty and as a school community, they're teaching their students not only the academic expectations that they have and standards, but they're also reaching their hearts. Also, one thing that's unique about these schools compared to some of the schools I visit in larger population areas is that they have really well-behaved students. They have very low school discipline. I ask uh, Ms. Miller in the years that she's been there, how many long-term suspensions has she had to walk through? And she said one which just absolutely is astounding to me. But that just shows you the power of that community and the way that they invest in the relationships of those students and those students' willingness to follow rules and to uh, participate in those expectations. And then another encouraging factor I saw was just the commitment to innovation. Even though these some of these schools are very small, uh, several of them are coordinating with 
the closest university in that area, which is Panhandle State University, so that their students have concurrent options. Some of them actually virtually participate from their schools, and some of them travel to the university to participate. A school just down the road has gone full one-to-one devices for their kids uh, five through um, high school. And so those kids are using Chromebooks. They're doing innovative work with technology embedded into the practices that they do in their buildings. And so they're already beginning to introduce some blended options into these schools, which is really encouraging too. And finally, I would say that probably one of the most impressive pieces of culture that I saw is just the commitments of staff and teachers. When you have individuals who are invested in their communities, who live in those communities and love those students dearly because they work closely with them, they share communities with them, they go to the same churches together, or they're involved in the same activities together, then you have a a strong sense of, of culture and family. And that's probably the best word that I can use for the culture that I viewed in these schools was the family centered feelings that these places had. And even though they still have to work with students that may come from um, at-risk backgrounds, uh, most of these schools have very high free and reduced lunch populations, Title I populations. These are schools that are deeply committed to making sure kids are cared for, kids are loved, and kids are given opportunities. So those are just some thoughts that I've had as I've traveled today through parts of rural Oklahoma that I haven't been in before, and I hope those thoughts are helpful to you. As we are stepping into September and we're looking at October, I just want to put something on your radar, which a lot of you know about, which is October Principals Month, National Principals Month. Each October, the National Association of Secondary School Principals and the National Association of Elementary School Principals hosts a Principals Month, and I will be in Washington, D.C. in October for two different events. Actually, I will be at one event for the National Principals Awards Ceremonies as we recognize state principals are State Principal of the Year for high school. Scott Beck will be recognized there from Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, later in the month, one of our other former Assistant Principal of the Year winners, Stephanie Williams from the Norman area, will be recognized and visiting during a shared Capitol Hill Day to recognize October as Principal's Month. But as you're looking at stepping into that month, there are some things that you can be thinking about that help raise and continue awareness for your schools. And sometimes I think it's good to have a focus once a year as you're stepping into a specific time of year to make that focus more clear. But here's some things I just want to encourage you to think about of why your advocacy is such an important part of your leadership. And you may not have thought of this for a while because so so often when you're in a building and you're serving your students, it's easy to understand the, the tensions and opportunities that face your students, your teachers, and your community members. But outside of your school, that bigger picture matters as well. And for those of you that have followed my content before, you know that when I wrote the book, Messaging Matters, the whole intention of that book was to talk about the importance of you highlighting, celebrating, showcasing, and communicating the incredible things happening in your schools so that you could rally the support of your teachers, community members, and students, and those outside of your school. Because what people perceive about your schools matters. When others perceive that your schools are operating in ways that are serving students, meeting their needs, pushing them into high rigor, giving them opportunities for innovation and creativity and learning, then that's a place that they want to support. And if all they ever see at the face of the school are the challenges, then it's a harder sell when it comes to advocacy and support. And in Oklahoma, that came to a head just two years ago when our teachers in the spring of that two years ago did a statewide walk at the Capitol accompanied by 
tens of thousands of people across the state, not just teachers, but other community members, to demand that schools receive stronger support. And that whole situation came to head because of years and years and years of lack of support. And those advocacy efforts only continue when people stay involved. So here are some takeaways that I want you to think about this week when it comes to the importance of your own advocacy. And just think about where you might fit into this. First of all, are you involved in your individual state associations? Whatever state you live in, especially in the continental U.S., there's going to be an association that you can be a part of that helps support the work that your schools do. And so find out what that is and join and be a part of that because being a member of a state association gives you the opportunity to lend your voice to the power of hundreds or thousands of others. Number two, are you involved in knowing and communicating with your state representatives and state senators? In my community, we have the privilege of both of our both our state representative and our state senator ran for office as educators, former teachers from our communities who now are leaders at the state capitol. And so we're so excited to have those kinds of representatives leading us. But before either of those men was in office, it's a common, it was a common practice of mine, and I know it is among many school leaders in our area, to know your state representatives and let them know what concerns that you have about your schools. And so think about who that is representing you. Have you reached out to that person, to him or to her? Have you invited them to your school? Have you invited them to sit down and just listen to their concerns, and but also voice yours? Because I guarantee that you, as the school principal or as a school leader, are going to have inside information and often a much, much deeper understanding of the dynamics that happen within schools affected by laws and policies coming from your state capital. Also, it's not just our states. It's it's the federal level as well. And so as you are connecting with congressmen and women or senators at the federal level, continue to be a voice for your school communities. And of course, those federal level representatives are representing people from all kinds of various communities and backgrounds, whether that's rural or suburban or urban, whatever it is, but yours, your perspective counts. And so make sure that people know how those stories matter in your school. Let me give you an example. If you are a school with a lot of Title I students that are receiving free and reduced lunches and that title, those Title I fundings are perhaps providing teacher's assistance for your buildings or helping you qualify for grants that can be helping your students, then tell those stories. What are the success stories of the students in your community that are receiving help from those funds that provide an incentive for them to continue to be supported by your elected officials. I think I touched on this earlier. Invite those elected officials to come to your school for visits or shadow you. And October Principals Month is really a great time to do that. So if you know an elected official who might benefit from, and that's everyone, who might benefit from walking in your school with you, reach out to them and invite them in. And let your staff know ahead of time that they're coming and provide lots of photo opportunities that you can share back with them and that they can share with the media too. But building those relationships provides a powerful opportunity. Just last year, one of my friends and principal friends, Chris Legrand from Guthrie High School, who was also our association president and also the coordinator for us for our state, as our state coordinator for the National Association of Secondary Principals, hosted one of our state senators, staffers in his building for a day. And as that staffer walked the building, he asked all kinds of questions. He was really curious about Chris's uh, concurrent enrollment options, his career tech options, his innovative uses of technology. And just a few weeks later, he called Chris up and said, hey, we're looking at this piece of legislation. We're talking about this. And I just really wanted your input. That conversation would not have happened if Chris had not invited him to his building. So invite visits. And then finally, understand the, the cycles of what happens 
at, at your capitals, at, especially at your state capitals, because each year your state legislature will gather in the summer and begin to look at interim studies. They will begin to study issues that could become future legislation. They might hold hearings on things like virtual education or charter schools or cyberbullying or trauma-informed instruction. And as they're having these debates about each of these interim study areas in committees, what they're really doing is looking at the research and the thoughts and the input from their community members that could possibly be turned into projected policy. After those interim studies, then comes the proposed bills parts of the legislative cycle. So before the new, your new legislative sessions begin each year, your senators and congressmen are going to be drafting proposed bills. And in Oklahoma, that could be hundreds, if not a thousand you know, new bills a year that they're looking at possibly passing. Be aware of what those are. And if, you've got, if you have good state advocates um, like we do in Oklahoma, then you can get summaries of those from your state capitol. You can look at those and, and have an idea of what bills might be coming before committees that could possibly turn into law. And then the next step is they go to committees. Each state legislature typically has an education committee in the House and on the Senate side, and they look at those and they debate those bills and decide whether they get to advance out of committee. If they advance out of those committees, and that means they go to, they go to the floor for a vote. And if they go to the floor for a vote, then they can become law. And so those cycles are really important that when you're receiving heads up on bills, if there's something that might not be helpful for schools that needs to be opposed or something that would be helpful for schools that needs to be supported, then you need to lend your voice to that opportunity. Now, if you're a member of my state association in Oklahoma through COSA and through the Association of Sec- Oklahoma's Association of Secondary School Principals, then we provide those legislative updates every single week as a part of our membership. And you can check that out at COSA.org. But wherever you live, check out your state association's websites and see how you can become a member and be involved in receiving updates of all the incredible things that are happening. No matter where you live and no matter what context you're in, advocacy is an important part of your leadership. And advocacy doesn't just mean legislative advocacy. Advocacy means telling your story and celebrating the great things that are happening in your schools so that other people can rally around you, support the work that you're doing, and together provide solutions. Because your work cannot be done in isolation. That's That kind of advocacy happens at all levels, whether that's with your community members, your faith community members, the chambers of commerce that are in your, in your towns, whatever context where you serve, you're going to see your school's causes advanced even greater when you're telling your story and when you're asking others to advocate with you for the success of your students. Well, I hope that's helpful as I've continued this road trip across Oklahoma and I can see the beautiful wind farms in the distance as I'm still driving on this long drive and I can see grain bins off in the distance and large open fields of wheat that have been harvested and in fields that are being prepped for, for some fall planting. I'm not sure where you're sitting today, but I just want to encourage you that wherever it is, whatever context you're in today, that you remember that the work that you do is so incredibly important. As I sat with principals from these rural schools today at lunch, and they shared their stories with me, the last thing that I wanted to tell them is something that I want to remind you of. I just wanted to remind them that the work that they do every single day, even though it may not be seen, it may not be celebrated, people may not recognize the sacrifices that you pay that you are educational heroes and your students deserve you. Your community members are blessed to have you leading them. Your teachers need your support 
because what you do matters. So I hope you're having a great week. Thanks for listening in to this road edition of Principal Matters, and I'll talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. Hey.